Amen. That's the message of the gospel, right? You know, some of us, we limp into church and uh, we feel like we're damaged goods. We feel like God couldn't use a joker like me. And yet he does use a joker or jokers like us all the time. He is a good God and he has great plans for us. Amen. 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 Well, listen, we are uh, in week two of our stake and shake series. That's the, yes, that is the correct name. We're learning how to step into biblical maturity like Paul talks about in 1 Corinthians 3 when he says we're supposed to move from milk to, to meat, from shakes to steak, from uh, comfort food to really substantive food, the meaty uh, truth of God's word. But you know, stepping into biblical maturity is much like a bird leaving his nest. Watch this. In today's breathing space, the courage of a brand new baby bird when it's time to take those first steps out of the nest. 50 feet in the air, wings untested. Instinct tells them it's time to go. The miracle is they listen. Each one trusts the call and jumps into the unknown. A whole new life waits for them beyond the cushion of leaves. It's our lesson to spread our wings and trust that we too will soar. Now, I don't... Uh tend to agree with Oprah very much. But in this instance, I think she, she nailed it. You see, uh, she said, each one trusts the call and jumps into the unknown. There's, there's something profound in that for us today. You see, biblical maturity doesn't happen in the warm, safe predictability of the nest. It happens in the leaps of life. When we jump out of the nest, we leap out of the nest. It happens in the 50-foot free, free falls where we have to learn how to fly. Let me tell you, and let me warn you, dreams die every day in nests. Nests can be a graveyard for dreams. Nests can be a place where uh, uh, I, I would call them spiritual convalescent homes, where we enter this state of spiritual atrophy, where we kind of waste away. And I would submit that many Christians stay in that place. They stay in the nest. I love what Will Mancini puts it this way. He says, we minimize our potential because we settle for a safer path to a lesser goal. Our spiritual maturity for many of us is held hostage today by fear. For some, it's comfort. For others, it's complacency. But God is trying to nudge us. He's trying to, to, to get us to take a leap. And instead, we've settled for so much less than what God has planned for us. God is saying today, it's time to leap. It's time to leap. Here's your big idea. Maturity is a progression of leaps. Say that with me. Maturity is a progression of leaps. Now that sounds counterintuitive. 
After all, you'll find verses in the Bible that talk about you know, uh, being cautious and judicious and, and orderly. So how do we reconcile leaping with those principles? Well, the truth is they live congruently. They live harmoniously together. You see, we don't leap in the absence of, of, of caution, calculation, and forethought. We leap in the very presence of those things, which is why I submit it's so hard to leap because leaping doesn't make sense. But friends, if you want to step into biblical maturity, you will not be able to do that solely with your intellect. There is a faith component to biblical maturity that you cannot dismiss. If you want to call yourself a true, mature Christian, it will take faith. Hebrews eleven six. without faith, it's impossible to please God. But the problem is, we don't want to do that. Why? Because it doesn't make sense. Because leaping is illogical. It makes no sense. 50-foot free falls are both illogical and totally necessary. Building a massive boat in a region that gets very little rainfall seems pretty illogical to a guy named Noah. Taking an Uber in the belly of a whale for three days seemed pretty illogical to Jonah, and yet it was totally necessary. Gathering jars for Elisha's servant's widow seemed like a pretty dumb thing to do. After all, there's no oil. I'm gathering jars for which there's no oil. Illogical? Yes. Totally necessary for the provision of her family? Absolutely. Walking around 13 times in a matter of seven days around this city while, while, while the, the, the people inside the walls are laughing at you. Illogical? Yes. Totally necessary. You get my point. There comes a time in, in our faith journey when God calls us to get out of the nest. And all the prayer, the Bible reading, and the church attendance will not remove the trepidation that comes as we leap. It feels wrong. I don't care how it feels. Obedience doesn't always feel right. Faith doesn't always feel right. But it's time for many of us. God is saying today, you need to leap. Leap from that comfortable perch into biblical maturity. And it's not one leap. It's not like, oh, I'm going to leap today and now I'm, I'm mature tomorrow. It doesn't happen that way. We talked last week about how it's, it's a process, not an event. It's a series of small, little incremental leaps over a period of time through which we develop biblical maturity, through which God does something and develops something in us that wasn't formerly there. And I'm not suggesting that we leap haphazardly. I'm suggesting that we leap obediently. And we're going to see that today. Jesus is going to ask a rich, young ruler to take a leap in Mark 10, beginning in verse 17. As Jesus started on his way, a man ran up to him and fell on his knees before him. Good teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good? Jesus answered. No one is good except God alone. You know the commands. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony. You shall not defraud. Honor your father and mother. Teacher, he declared, I have kept all of these since I was a boy. I've kept these since I was a boy. Jesus looked at him and loved him. One thing you lack, he said, go and sell everything you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. At this, the man's face fell. He went away sad 
because he had great wealth. Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, how hard is it for the rich to enter the kingdom of God? Lord, we thank you that you want to speak to us today. You want us to to nudge us out of our nest. You want to help us learn to leap. Help us learn to leap. Help us have the courage and the boldness to obey your word today. In Jesus' name, amen. If you're taking notes, write this down. Here's some markers of, of leapers. Here's what leapers do. Leapers, number one, assume the cost of their leap. Did you know that every leap God calls you to, there's a little price tag attached to that leap. And that's what Jesus is pointing out in this passage. But first, what do we know about this guy? We know from, and by the way, this is in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, there's uh, the, the passages, uh, parallel passages in those three gospels. What do we know? He's rich, he's young, he's a ruler, he's popular. He was the Johnny Depp of the New Testament. He had it going on. Now we know he was likely Jewish. Why? Because no Roman would call Jesus teacher. And he calls him good teacher. That little word good is very important for our text today. Good te- I'll explain that in a second. So he calls him good teacher. Jesus responds in verse 18, why do you call me good? Jesus answered, no one is good except God alone. What is that about? It, it sounds like Jesus is, is denying his own deity. Actually, he's affirming his deity. You see, Jewish rabbis would not allow anyone to call them good. The word good was reserved for God alone. So what Jesus was really saying to that rich young ruler was, oh, you, you know who I am. Are you sure you want to call me good? Are you sure you want to really accept me and follow me? Because there's a price tag that's attached to the Messiah. And see, and by the way, let me just point out this. He knew who Jesus was. Clearly, he's a good teacher. He knew that Jesus was the Messiah, but that doesn't mean he accepted the Messiah. It doesn't mean he believed. You mean we can know that Jesus is the Messiah and not accept him? Yes, and that should startle us. That should alarm us. We have to believe. It has to take this journey from here to where we really accept him in our heart and believe that he is the true son of God and that salvation comes through him alone. So what was he after? What was this rich young ruler? What was, what was he really looking for? Fire insurance. He wanted to know that when he died, I'm going to be in heaven. He didn't really want to follow Jesus, as indicated in the text. He didn't really want to, to pay the price to assume the cost of actually following Jesus. He just wanted to know that, you know, when I die, I'm going to, I'm going to go to the happy place. And he missed out on what God had for him. Let me say it this way. Immature Christians don't want to be saved from their sin. They want to be saved from the penalty of their sin. In other words, we don't really want to change our life. We want to live however we want to live, right? Keep, keep living just like we're living. Like the rich man, he just, I got a lot of money. I, I like to party. I like to do a lot of stuff. I got to, I, I, you know, I'm, I'm, you know do, I have a cool social life. I'm kind of popular. He didn't want to change any of that. And, and not that God wants to rob us of that. Like some of that stuff is just fine. But some of that stuff can get in the way. And in this case, his money was getting in the way. He, he's what I would call a kinone. It's an acronym, C-I-N-O, Christian in name only. A lot of us, maybe we're there, maybe we're there today. Jesus is saying to us, he's, he's saying, look, your leap is going to cost you. 
Your leap is going to, what's it going to cost me? What's it going to cost me? Luke 14, Jesus said, if you're not willing to give up everything, you can't be my disciple. Wait a second. So you're telling me, Pastor John, that I have to give up everything? No, probably not. Because God's not stingy. But we have to be willing to give up everything. Whatever it is for you, for me, that stands in the way. God says, there's a price tag to follow me. And I, I want you to pay it, be willing to pay it. You see, what the man really wanted, he wanted friends with benefits, right? He wanted Jesus to be his, his buddy so he could inherit eternal life. I, I know him, that's, that's, the, that's the Messiah. He, he and I are cool, I'm going to heaven. Where's the party at tonight? <laughs> and God doesn't care that you party, but he cares if that gets in the way of, of chasing him. He wanted friends with benefits. James 4.4, 4, I love what he writes. You adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world means enmity with God? That's hatred toward God. God says, stop dating me and dating the world. It's like we like to dabble in the world. And, and I know no one's saying amen today, but I'm gonna, I'm gonna preach the word of God and, and I'll trust God with the consequences. But he doesn't want us to, to date Date around, like date the world, dabble with the world, hang out, and then just, oh, hey, Jesus, you know? Oh, it's Sunday. It's time to date Jesus. No, no, that, that's not what he's, at. he's not about that. You see, God's not lonely. God's not desperate. If you want a theological term, it's self-existent. He is self-existent. He was fine before us. He'll be fine after us. But here's the crazy thing. A God that doesn't need us wants us. The Bible says we can bring that God joy by the way we live our life, by the way we follow him, by the way we leap, we can actually bring a God who doesn't need us but wants us joy. And I don't know about you, man, but I want to bring that God joy because in times in my life, I was the rich young ruler. I wasn't willing to pay the cost. I want to pay it. You see, he's not lonely. He's not on, 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 on surfing the web on christianmingle.com and I wonder if I can get a date to, no. You know, you know who he is? He's the bridegroom. You know who he's after? The bride called the church. He's after our hearts. And we give him so little because we don't want to get out the nest. We don't want to leap. We don't want to jump. And so we give him a little. And God says, I want it all. And not because he's stingy, but because he wants to set us free. It's really about our freedom. It's not that God needs something from us. It's that we need to give it to God to be free. And, and there's a tendency to hate on this guy. Like, what a loser. Can you believe this guy? I mean, here he is interacting with Jesus in the flesh, and, and, and you're not even going to get rid of your money? Really? How pathetic is that? But be careful. Because what if we're in and out this week? We're in and out ordering a double-double and animal fries and chocolate shake, and all of a sudden, Jesus rolls up on the scene. And, and by the way, let me pause. Uh, does anybody know why the, uh, the in and out uh, they always have the uh, crossed palm trees? You know that? I'll, well, I'll tell you why. Because the founder of In-N-Out was inspired by a movie, It's a Mad, 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 Mad World, wherein the, uh, the treasure, there was treasure that was found at the end of the movie under four crossed palm trees. Interesting. And if that's the only thing you take away from the message, I'm going to be mad. <laughs> What'd you learn in church today? I learned that. What if the treasure we found at In-N-Out was Jesus? And we ran up to him and said, good teacher. And he responds, whoa, uh, Pastor John, uh, are you sure you want to call me that? Are you sure you're willing to assume 
the cost of following me? Do you really, or do you just want fire insurance? You just want to know that, you know, you're going to be saved. And I'm not minimizing being saved. That's a huge thing. But like, if that's, if that's our goal in life is just to, to, to be saved and to squeak into heaven, you're going to miss out on the, on the true will of God. Would we be willing to assume the cost? Would I be willing? Or are there things, come on, man, let's be real. Are there things in our life that are off limits? Because most of us, here's what we do. We say, God, I'm going to give you this. I'm going to give you this. And, and I'm even going to give you this this week because I'm, I'm growing in my faith. And so I'm actually going to give you this. You know, that's what we do. Some of us, we make ultimatums with God. Some of us, we have non-negotiables. My question to you is, what's your non-negotiable? Oh, I follow Christ. I'm, I give him everything. Do you? That's awesome because I don't know hardly anybody that does that. But if you're doing that, that's awesome. Yay, God. But I don't know a whole lot of Christians who do that. I check myself. Am I really willing? Or, or, or is my son off limits? Or my daughter who's playing keyboard, is she off limits? You can have anything, but, but don't take my kids. Don't take my wife. Mm-hmm. Abraham Isaac. You see, we have to put everything we have, everything we have, put it on the altar. You want, you want my 2012 Honda Pilot? I don't know why. It's a piece of junk, but God, you can have it. But, and here's the thing about God. It's not like he, he needs stuff from us. Like, you know, oh gosh, I'm so glad he loaned me his car. Like, he doesn't need a car. He's trying to set us free. This message is about, you got to understand, it's about freedom. Leaping is about freedom. And the maturity that comes as we step into that place of freedom. Would we assume the cost? Or, or, or is there something that's off limits to God? I want to challenge you this week to begin assuming the cost. Lay everything on the altar. Second thing, leapers, they look in the mirror. Check this out, verse 19. You know the commandments, and he goes through six of the ten commandments, and to which the uh, rich young ruler responds, I've, I've done all these things. I've kept them. I've been a good little boy. He tells Jesus. Jesus looked at him and loved him. One of the greatest verses and most often overlooked verses in the Bible. Verse 21, Jesus looked at him and loved him. We're coming back to that because there's something rich in that. But one thing you lack, he said, go sell everything you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. Now externally, this guy had it going on. Externally, this guy was Billy Graham. People thought he was the real deal, right? But inside, there was some stuff going on. There was some surrender that had to occur that, that had not occurred up to this point. Inside, he was, well, externally, he was a poser. But be careful, be careful, because I think there's a poser in all of us. Yeah, no one's gonna say amen to that. But I think there's a poser in all of us, and we better, better be very, very careful. You see, God knew that he broke at least three commands. He mentioned the ones that he knew he kept. Oh, I kept those, I'm good. But what about the three he didn't keep? Put no other gods before me, money. Do not worship any other idols, money. Do not covet, money. You see, what Jesus was doing, he was holding up a mirror. He was holding up a mirror to help him see, the rich, young, studly Johnny Depp ruler, to see that he was actually enslaved. He was actually in change. He was actually in bondage, imprisoned by 
His love for money. Remember, money is not the root of evil. The love of money, the Bible says, is the root of all evil. Jesus held up a mirror. And he, he was saying, look, your calling is held captive by your love for money. You won't let go. I guess what I'm saying is if Jesus held up a mirror to us today, what would he see? I wonder what he would see in me. What he'd see in our church. Perhaps he would see rich, young rulers who are enslaved by their money. And for some of us, it's not money. For some of us, it's something else. But what would he see? Because Jesus loves us enough to do this. And not to demean us, to disparage us, or to beat us up, but to build us up and to free us up. Because that's the kind of God he is. He's a redeeming God. I think some of us, we cling to our nest. We cling to this, this, this American dream, this big lie. And I love America, greatest nation. Thank God for the brave men and women who, who fought to, for our freedom. Thankful to live in this country. I wouldn't want to live anywhere else. But be careful because God's given us so much. And what do we do? We cling. We hold. We give him so little because we have so much. And we feel like we bought into this delusion that the more we have, the better our, our lives are going to be. You ever seen the shows when they win the lottery? And then they go back and like two years later, I hate him. I divorced him. I left him. I, how'd it work out for you? All the money. Helped your marriage? Helped your life? Helped your interaction with your kids? Probably not. Some people God can trust money with. Praise God. Praise God. But not all of us can be trusted. And for some of us, money's not a good thing. Or at least the abundance of money is not a good thing. And isn't it interesting how we're so concerned in America with protecting our money. We're so worried about thieves breaking in and stealing. You know, uh, we have alarms on our house. We have safes in our home. We have banks that we take our money to that's impermeable to thieves and robbers. And we're so worried about robbers stealing our money. And yet, it's our money that is stealing from us. And that's what Jesus was saying when he held up the mirror. Let me say this. We don't talk about money a lot at this church, uh, and, and, I, and it's probably to, to, to a fault of mine. Um, you want to be biblically mature? Um, you, you need to be a giver. Not because God needs your money. He owns a cattle on a thousand hills. He doesn't need your money. But he wants to do something in us as we let go of something that he knows is so valuable to us. The Bible talks about tithing. Tithing, that word means one-tenth. I had someone who would profess to be a, a, a mature Christian, an older gentleman, came up to me and, and, and told me and went on this, you know, this whole tangent as to why, biblically, he feels led to only give 3%. And he was, you know, very elaborate, very, you know, very compelling argument. The problem was it wasn't the truth of God's word. That one small detail. And I listened to him, and I thought, you know, I'm, I'm, just, I'm rebuke him. But you know what I did? I didn't rebuke him. Because I was too busy grieving for him. Because I saw the rich young ruler right in front of me, clinging to, clinging to something that meant so much to him and justifying why he was doing so. People say, well, it doesn't even talk about tithing in the New Testament. We don't have to tithe. 
Read your Bible, Matthew 23, 23, New Living Translation. Well, what sorrow awaits you teachers of religious law and you Pharisees, hypocrites, for you are careful to tithe even the tiniest income from your herb gardens, but you ignore the more important aspects of the law, justice, mercy, and faith. You should tithe, yes, Jesus said, but do not neglect the more important things. Should we tithe, yes? Absolutely, we should. And, and that is a marker, by the way, an inescapable marker of a true born-again Christian who is living in biblical maturity. You take 10% out of, and you don't wait and take it after, the, you take it out first. That's what the Bible says. You take that out and you give it, you give it to, to, to the house of God. You give it to the church. And here's the thing. If that bothers you, if, 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 if this bothers you so much, why? This is not about the church, they're going into a building campaign. And, uh, and it's not a building campaign. I'm using that word incorrectly on pr purpose because it's a dream campaign. They, they need a building and they're going to ask for money. Wrong. This is not about your money. It's about your freedom. Anybody ever see William Wallace? God's saying, freedom! I want to set you free. And you're enslaved and you can't see it. So some joker in a black shirt's holding up a mirror. And I'm not doing it with a condemning spirit. I'm doing it with, man, I want you to be free. I mean, I can tell you, my wife and I, Cindy, we can tell you about when we were in Ohio and we used to not tithe very much and, and, and our struggle with that. Like, I get it. I've been there, man. But we are free of that. We have seen God do more stuff with, with little. You can't afford not to tithe is what I'm getting at. God, the freedom and the life that comes from that it's a marker of spiritual maturity. And it's really about the heart. Jesus said that in Matthew 6, 21, he says, where your treasure is, your heart will be. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be. There's Matthew 6, 21. Some of y'all don't like to read. You like pictures. Well, I'm giving you a picture right here. There's Matthew 6, 21. Here's your treasure. Here it is. And what happens is we want to go serve God. We want to take a leap. But we can't take a leap because we're, we're chained. We're chained. Oh, nice. See, God just set me free right in front of y'all. I couldn't script that. Woo! Thank you, Lord. That's probably what freedom looks like. Dang, I wish he did that last service. That was awesome. Right? But he wants us to be free. And that's just a mind picture of, of how we're enslaved. Here's what I'm getting at. The mirror, the law was a mirror. The law was always a mirror to show us, and, and, and listen to me how I say this. I'm saying this in love, okay? And, I, and I'll explain it. But to show us how dirty we are. Galatians 3.24, what did Paul call the law? He called it a guardian to bring us to Jesus. In other words, God knew that we, we don't have the capacity to keep the law to be perfect and to keep that law. We can't do that. And so what it was always, is like it was a big arrow attached to the, to the law and it was pointing to the cross. It was pointing to Jesus because the law can't wash away our sins. Only Jesus can wash away our guilt and our sin and our shame. And he took it upon himself. He washed it away and he said, you're not damaged goods. I love you. I see potential in you. I see greatness in you. I see a big leap that's coming and it comes compliment of the blood of Christ. Yes. 
I spilled muriatic acid in the, in the, in the, out by our pool, and my wife wasn't real happy. And uh, she says, is there anything you can do to get that stain off? So I tried a bunch of stuff. I wa tried to wash it with the hose, you know, chemicals, scrub it. Nothing worked. And I thought to myself, you know, that's, that's like sin. You know, we, we can't, the law can't wash away the sin. A bunch of good acts, even given. Tithing, that doesn't wash away. It's, the, it's, it's Jesus. It's the blood of Jesus. Hebrews 10, 10. Our sins are washed away and we are made clean because Christ gave his own body as a gift to God. He did this once for all time. What can wash away my sins? Sing it. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can make me whole again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. And all oh, precious is the flow that makes me white as snow. Oh, no other fount I know. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. That's it, man. That's it. Yeah, God. And let's never forget that. Let's never forget the secret. The secret to maturity, I'm going to give this to you. You're going to want to write this down. You're going to remember this. And it's going to sound a little odd at first, but just trust me. This is God's word speaking. The secret to maturity, at least a secret to maturity, is acknowledge our dirtiness and need for God's grace. Acknowledge our own dirtiness and need for God's grace. Now you say, well, wait a second. I don't want to glorify on the negative. I don't want to, you know, beat myself. I'm not saying to beat yourself up. I'm not saying to live in the dirtiness. I'm saying to acknowledge you remember where you were at when God found you. Remember your need for grace. You see, what does 2 Corinthians 12, 9 say? My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in my strength. No. My power is made perfect in weakness. Whoa, that's weird, isn't it? I mean, some of y'all are, some of you are new to the faith. That's got to sound weird. It is weird. It doesn't make sense. It's a spiritual phenomenon. It doesn't make sense in any other area of our life. I mean, you know, you, you, you want to go find the strongest guy in the gym? You, you don't look, well, let me see who's the weakest. Because he's going to be the strongest. It doesn't make sense there. You know? Uh, it doesn't make sense if, if we're trying to, you know, have a race car. We want, we want the car with the biggest engine. The most, most powerful engine will go the fastest. We don't want the Toyota Prius. <laughs> or how about our health? You know, actually, I, I feel that when I have the flu, I'm actually really strong. No. It's a spiritual phenomenon. And, and see, that's what Paul's talking about when we're moving from the milk to the meat. When you first come to the faith, I'm not sure I understood that. Like, that took a while. That took some leaps and leaps to where I understood, oh, God, you use my weaknesses. You use my mess-ups. You use the baggage that I thought was baggage actually for your glory. Paul goes on to say even, hey, y'all, I'm going to boast about it. I'm going to check this out. I'm going to brag about my weakness so that Christ's power may rest upon me. So wait a second. You're saying it's actually biblical to brag about our weaknesses? 
Yes. That's why some of y'all are tired of saying, oh, gathering's about messy people. Oh, I'm going to say that till I die. Because it is about messy people because that's how God uses messy people. He uses our dirt. He uses our mess to make us whole again. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. And, and he uses us to, to, to help give us a testimony to share with people. So don't be afraid to say, you know what? I got some dirt. Don't live in that. Don't stay in that place. But acknowledge it. Just like David did. 2 Samuel 12, 13. I have sinned against the Lord. In other words, I'm dirty. Isaiah said it in Isaiah 6, 5. I am a man of unclean lips. Paul said it in Romans 7, 18. I know that good itself does not dwell in me. Maturity is when we get to the place where we realize that I'm the wretch. Remember that song that saved a wretch like me? Well, John was the wretch. I'm the rich young ruler. I'm the, the prodigal son. I'm the woman caught in adultery. I, I'm the leper. I'm the Pharisee. When we get to the place where we can acknowledge our own need for God's grace, it changes us. How? It, embrace, it, it, it allows us to love messy people. Embracing our mess frees us to love messy people. Who's trying to free up that ruler, that rich young ruler. Because he, he, he didn't want to just save that person, right? He didn't want him just to make it to heaven, but he wanted him to be a disciple, someone who could set somebody else free or God would set somebody else free through him. Here's my, one of my favorite verses. Jesus looked at him and loved him. Just, just, just take that in and don't miss that. Jesus looked at his mess. No, he didn't. We do that. We look at the mess. That's our issue, not God's. Don't, don't put that on God. He didn't look at his mess. He didn't look at the email that he sent Jesus the week before. He didn't look at his past mistakes. We do. He didn't look at uh, that hurtful action that he did Oh, I don't know, a month ago. He didn't look at that Facebook post that was, just took a jab at Jesus. No, no. It says he looked at him. He looked at him along with all the mess that certainly was there. He looked at him and he loved him. Man. I, I, I want to do that. I don't always do it. And I'm the pastor of the church, and, I, and I, so I'm a work in progress. But like, I, I want to do that. I want to look at people like Jesus looked at people. Imagine if we were a church that really did that. Aaliyah, how would it be? How cool and life-giving would it be if we could get to that place in spiritual and biblical maturity where we leapt so much that we could look at people like Christ looked at people. Grace gives permission to ourselves and others to be works in progress. Isn't that true? Like We're all works in progress. Biblical maturity doesn't mean you somehow arrived and I no longer need to work on my life. No, no, no. <laughs> it means you acknowledge I am a work in progress. Whether I'm six years old or 65 years old, I'm a work in progress and God is, is, is making new wine. He's doing something new in me and through me. But I'm not afraid to link myself back to the cross and to the messiness that I put on Jesus because my sins died with him that day. Once, the Bible says, and for all. Huh. I just have to apologize because I know there's people here that maybe have, have had judging eyes look at you. 
right? From church people who were supposed to love. You know, I'm, I've been guilty of that. So I put myself in that category. But I just want to apologize because that's not the gospel we, we, we read. That's not the Jesus we read about. He was building people up. He was loving. He saw life. And so if you ever interact with someone who, who does that, let me tell you where that stems from. It's an unreconciled heart. In other words, they, they see themselves not in need of God's grace. Because if you see yourself and you've reconciled to the fact that, man, I, I, I'm messy and I need God's grace, all of a sudden it frees you up to give and to extend that grace to that messy person who, quite frankly, you don't like. I love what uh, Gandhi wrote. He said, I, I like your Christ. I do not like your Christians. Your Christians are unlike your Christ. Yeah, buddy. And you know what the, the vision of the gathering is to be like Christ, right? A family of God authentically living out the mission of God. And families, since we started in, in, in back in your living room, Ken, uh, having that conversation, we always set out, like Christ, to love messy people, right? Because that's who God uses to affect the kingdom of God. He uses messy and broken people like us. And here's why it's so important. Our leap impacts his sheep. Our leap impacts the kingdom of God. The way we live, the way we leap, how we leap, when we leap, where we leap, as we obediently leap, it impacts God's sheep. It impacts people around us. And we have a desire to take back this city. Amen. And that's not a selfish desire. That's not John's. That's God's desire, living, God's dream, living through his people. God is going to take back this city. He said, oh, I didn't know it was lost. It's lost. And, and we're not the only city. But this is our city. And God is the God of this city. Here's how the story ends, and this, this, this better break your heart. If it doesn't break your heart, I want you to check your heart. Verse 22, at this, the man's face fell. He went away sad because he had great wealth. Some birds never leave the cage. He chose to remain caged and totally missed out on what God had for him. And if that doesn't break your heart, check your heart. Because Jesus looked at him and he loved him. His heart broke. Jesus didn't have a sermon to preach. He didn't have a song to sing. He just looked at him and he wanted him to be free. He wanted him to leave the nest. He wanted those chains to come off so he could step into the life that God had for him. And he chose to remain caged. So here's our assignment this week. Um, come on up, bud. A little late to the dance here. Good help's hard to find, I tell you what. Thankful for him, though, I'll tell you what. Thankful for my family. Thankful for the, for the faithful people who uh, are builders, by the way. Just a side note. Amen. 
People will come and go, but there are those who are pioneers and who will be there in the end. And that's the faith. We're going to talk about maturity. There's your maturity. Lasting, being faithful, right? Taking a leap, but not doubting that leap because leaps come with a price. And planting a church, it's a costly price, let me tell you. This week, I want you to uh, assume the cost of your leap. That's your assignment. A couple things. Assume the cost of your leap. What does that look like? I have no clue. But God will tell you. Whatever's that non-negotiable, put it up there on the altar and say, God, you can have it all. You want my 2012 pilot? It's yours. Whatever it is, take it. But be careful because God might call you on that or you might call me on that. I can't imagine having a worse vehicle than that, but maybe I will. So assume the cost of our leap. And secondly, look in the mirror. Look in the mirror. Look in the mirror and accept the fact that we were once dirty. And sometimes maybe we, we still are if we're not careful. But don't forget what God did for you. Acknowledge your own dirtiness. Don't live in that dirtiness, but acknowledge it so that Christ's power will rest on you and so that you can look at people like Jesus looked people and love them. Why? Because God's counting on us to take that next step. He's counting on us to not remain caged. He's counting on us to take that leap. Maturity is a progression of leaps.